Welcome to the Brush with Brit podcast. I'm your host, Brit, and in this episode, we're going to be talking about code D4346, which some people call it the gingivitis code. Kathy Forbes is a friend of mine who I recently met at RDH Under One Roof. She has received the Award of Distinction in the Entrepreneur category, and her knowledge about procedure codes is incredible. This episode is not one that you want to miss. When I got done with dental hygiene school, I actually don't remember learning about code D4346. So in this episode, there was quite a bit of information that even I learned from Kathy about this code and how to implement it in my daily practice. And I hope that you will too. Let's get into this week's episode of Brush with Brit. Good morning, Kathy. Thank you so much for coming on the Brush with Brick podcast. I'm so happy to have you here. Good morning. Good to be here. I would love for you to give a intro to the listeners of who you are and a bit about your specialty. um, And then we'll get into the episode. Okie doke. Well, um, my name is Kathy Forbes. I've been a hygienist for a really long time. Um, been in education, been an educator for like 30 years, done CE presentations since the 90s. Um, my area of expertise, I've been told, and that's what I promote, is understanding the ADA CDT procedure codes. Um, these are the procedures that hygienists and dentists perform, and there's actually over 800 of them. Uh, and hygienists do probably over 50 of them, and most hygienists are even unaware that the codes exist, let alone their, um, what their descriptors are. There's titles, there's descriptors, and uh, hygienists are just now realizing they need to really know this information. And there's, you know, because we always talk about we do cleanings. I hate that word (laughs) because we do so much more than a cleaning, but there's like seven different codes that hygienists pick from, and they probably don't even know they do that, or they may not even do it. Their business staff may pick it, you know, and we need to get hygienists all on the same page so that we're billing correctly and submitting correct procedures in their electronic health record. Uh, Cause it's a legal document that says, this is what we did. So uh, today we're going to focus on one particular code that gets a little confusing for hygienists, but in all, I just really need to be aware of this and ask their business person, do you have this CDT 2023 manual, which will have these in it? Yeah, absolutely. I'm excited for this episode because we're going to be talking about D4346. And one thing that Kathy recently taught me was that they are not insurance codes. They are procedure codes. And I feel like just learning that particular gem helped me to have a better understanding of what the codes are. So I would like for you to share a little bit more about that, you know, why these are procedure codes, not insurance codes. Oh, absolutely. Well, see, so procedure codes have been around. In fact, CDT1 was in 1990. And In dentistry, we tend to, the business staff and the dentists and actually hygienists too, we want to make it affordable for the patients and particularly those that have insurance, we want to know what their plan pays. Now there's over 200,000 plans out there and no one person can know it all. So we 
tend to go, oh, well, their insurance covered this particular procedure. No, it won't. Oh, well, then let's call it a different procedure. And it kind of makes sense because some of them have some language that maybe you could get away with that. But it's not a good thing to do. We need to pick the procedure that fits the diagnosis, that fits the treatment. And so with the CDT procedure codes, we pick the procedure. But in dentistry, we've started talking, oh, they're the insurance codes because it's the codes that the insurance company will pay for. And absolutely not. If you go into an office and say, where's your insurance code book? There is nothing. It's a procedure code, just like in medicine. When you go into a medical office and have procedures, you don't say, what's the insurance code? You say, what's the procedure code? And so it's kind of getting that mindset among dental professionals to start calling them procedure codes, not insurance codes. Absolutely. And another thing that Kathy taught me is the descriptor of the procedure code that you are <laughs> using. So every code has a descriptor and they're usually, well, some of them are very detailed and others might be not as detailed, but for the 4346 procedure code, um, I would like to go over what the descriptor is for that code, because I know there's a lot of listeners that that don't know codes actually have a description and have guidelines that you're supposed to follow. Absolutely. And the thing is, we're, we tend to, because we're an electronic and the computer age, that's computer software programs only put the number and what's called the nomenclature, the title. They don't put the descriptors in. So everybody kind of gets a misleading, oh, if it's an adult profi, but there's specific things that need to be done, or even like comprehensive oral evaluation. There's a whole laundry list of things that have to be done before you should bill it or use it. So yeah, the descriptor for scaling in the uh, D4346, I'll just read it. And with some emphasis on some of the words that I think is important to understand. <clears throat> The, the title or the nomenclature is scaling in the presence of generalized moderate or severe gingival inflammation, full mouth after an oral evaluation. And what's key about how this got passed is before this passed, there was only adult prophy and then you went straight into root planning. There was no middle code. So this is why they picked up on it. The code maintenance committee did. The descriptor is the removal of plaque, calculus, and stains from supra and subgingival two surfaces when there is generalized, moderate, or severe gingival inflammation in the absence of periodontitis. It is indicated for patients who have swollen, inflamed gingiva, generalized supra bony pockets, and moderate to severe bleeding on probing should not be reported in conjunction with a prophylaxis, scaling and root planing or debridement procedures. The thing that I see hygienists doing is they read that, oh, it's a gingivitis code. Well, if it's moderate or severe, but it's not if it's slight and it's not if there's any kind of clinical attachment loss. <clears throat> the minute someone has recession, that's clinical attachment loss and this code would not apply. So it's supra bony pockets. You're never on a root surface if you pick this code. So if you think about it, think of the kind of like almost acute necrotizing slide you saw in hygiene school. The really, that's what this is meant for. It's not meant for, 
you know, the average maybe has localized, moderate, slight to moderate inflammation, isolated, healthy, basically healthy. So it's meant for the ones that are really severe. And that's where people get kind of confused and start using it incorrectly. Do you feel like this code is used pretty frequently, like with new patients or patients that are like overdue, that it's been like quite some time, but they don't necessarily have that clinical attachment loss? Um, if they don't have the clinical attachment loss, it would be appropriate if they've got the moderate to severe bleeding and moderate to severe inflammation. So yes, these people coming back off of COVID, they've had no clinical attachment loss. This would be perfect for them uh, because the intent is that they would then become adult profi the next time they come in. It's kind of like this is, notice it's in the 4,000 range. The section in the CDT manual, that's the 4,000, is titled periodontics, where if you look at the adult profi, it's in preventive. So if it's in the 4,000, it's meant to be a therapeutic procedure, as opposed to the adult profi is only a preventive procedure. So if you're not quite sure, think about the treatment you're providing. Is it preventative or is it therapeutic? And if it fits all these parameters, it's therapeutic, wouldn't be the 4346. And when it comes to trying to implement this code into a practice, like let's say, you know, a hygienist is in a practice where this code hasn't um, been, been used very often, how could a hygienist go about trying to start to implement it? Well, the first thing, that's a great question because that's happening a lot is you need to talk to the business staff or who is submitting to insurance carriers. Because if it's new, they're gonna be kind of like, how does this fit into what we're doing? That means I've got to call and get benefits, see if it applies and whatnot. So it's kind of creating a little more work for the business staff. So if you can go ahead of yourself and say, okay, this is a particular code that we have in our toolbox of how we can treat patients. I just want you to know, I'm going to start using this coding because it's not an adult profi and we need to be billing what's appropriate for that particular procedure. So talk to the business staff and get their help because that's probably where a lot of the um, difficulties come with the hygienist is the business and the clinical staff aren't talking to each other to be able to understand this. So yeah, just say, I'm going to be, you know, using this code. Um, and when the patient comes in, they may not even be aware of what's going on. So there's a lot of times the hygienist, I know when I've used it, I'm educating a lot saying, this isn't your typical cleaning. Okay. You've got an infection going on here that we need to do some kind of, um, treatment for before we head into the normal kinds of things you're used to in the past. You've been gone because of COVID. Now you're back. This infection has gotten worse. So we need to slow down a little bit and start explaining to the patients so they understand why we're providing the treatment. I feel like when I have explained this cleaning or code to the, uh -huh. the patient that they do, um, they have a better understanding of it rather than, you know, I feel like sometimes too, if you were just to bill out a certain procedure code and then they get slammed with, you know, this co-payment, they could be very, very confused. And most patients know that there's either like a regular cleaning 
or a deep cleaning. They don't know anything in between or even what a procedure code is. So I feel like you definitely do have to go through, you know, taking a little bit of time to explain to that patient, hey, you know, this isn't just a prophylaxis cleaning anymore. It's It's been this long since you've been in and I need to make sure that I'm doing the correct procedure for you. Absolutely. One of the things I did was with these seven cleaning codes, I typed them out on a piece of paper and laminated it with the descriptors. And then if a patient had a real you know, question, I could hand it to him, say, see, you were up here before COVID came. Look at, see all these, the, the things I showed you in your mouth, the bleeding and that you're down here. See, you don't fit that anymore. So it gives them a visual to say, these are what we can select from. And this is where you fit. So absolutely slowing down a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I know there's quite a few listeners too that are curious as to um, what insurance does cover when it comes to this code. Do you have any insight um, about that or you know what they could potentially cover or is it covered? Yeah. I, I typically um, found... And in talking with a lot of other hygienists and actually hygienists who speak on the same thing and talk to offices and say, can you tell me what plans? Because most business staff know their top 10 plans and what gets paid of the basic stuff. And if being in the 4,000s, most of that is covered at the most 50%. And so the hygien the patient always wants the free cleaning, which would be the profi in the preventive section because it's paid at 100%. But letting the patient know, know, you know, I don't know what your plan covers. The business staff will be happy to work that with you. But knowing your head hygienist, because don't ever say what you think it is because it might be different, that they'll only pay for about half. Typical fees, and I, you know, this is just typical what I've found, uh, heard is that this 4346 is about one and a half times an adult profi fee. So let's say your profi fee is a hundred bucks, then it's 150 for 43 because it takes more time, takes more of the hygienist special technique to do it correctly and not hurt the patient. Sometimes you need some anesthetic. So, you know, it, it does take more time and the dental practice should be reimbursed appropriately for that skill level. So, when we're talking about this code, it's it's letting the patient know it's your infection. Insurance may, they'll pay some. I'd say, you know, good thing your plan will pay some of this, but I don't know exactly how much, but we'll check with the front. And you'll get that occasional patient who'll say, well, just do the regular one anyway, I'll deal with it. And that's got to be an ethical and philosophical conversation you have with your employer on what happens if that happens. Are you going to go ahead and switch back to adult profi? Mm -hmm. That's probably not a really good thing to do, particularly if, if anything legal came down the road, you couldn't justify that, yeah. but you need to know what your practice is going to support you in, in your decision-making. I think for the clinicians like mindset too, it's, it's good to remember that if you are to not do the 4346, there could be even more um, potential for that patient to end up with clinical attachment loss and then need a scaling and root planing, which is cost-wise going to be more than that, that 4346. Yeah. Um, you were so right. You were so right. And do you feel like for the clinician that it would be good to add the descriptor um, or parts of it to their their notes, like when writing out what procedure they're doing for the day? 
You could do that. Um, I'm often encouraging hygienists to start putting the actual procedure code in their clinical notes. And that's only been within the last month or so. And it's an unfortunate thing that triggered me to start really emphasizing that is I've had, I probably weekly have hygienists call me wanting to know what to do because they write all their treatment notes that they had without the treatment number. And they submit it to the business staff and the business staff changes the number fraudulently uh, to the insurance carrier to get more money. And if that came back, you know, it'd be hard to document, well, which procedure code did you do? Well, I wrote on the walkout statement, the correct one, but it somehow get changed and it's his word, her word. Okay. So if you put the D4346 actually in your clinical notes, and then you can still write some descriptor that relates to this, because mm -hmm. um, um, I think that would be really important, particularly if the hygienist left and another hygienist came in, they knew what procedure was done. So lift some of the language of generalized to moderate severe bleeding, what those things are, but actually put it in your notes in that way. If things got changed or mistaken at the other end, you as a hygienist, a licensed healthcare provider whose license is on the line for the treatment you provide, it'll be accurate for you. Do you also, does your patient go back to a, a prophylaxis, the D1110 after the 4346? Absolutely. If they can demonstrate, you know, do their oral hygiene, just let them know, say, hey, next time if you do A, B, and C, like we've talked about, you can go back to that pre-cleaning of adult prophy. But we've got to get through this segment right now where you've got this active infection going on. I've also heard that by completing the D4346, that in the future, it could increase um, increase the chances of insurance approving or covering the scaling and root planing if that patient has had a 4346 in the past is do you know any information on that um they're kind of separate but you were right that that clinically that could happen that they uh, because you could you could actually do the measurements they could be right on the verge of going into clinical attachment loss and so you do a 4346 because you're not on any roots and let's say they go out and they don't come back for a year and it continued because maybe there was some systemic things that were causing that. So it could come back and you could go into the 4341 and 4342 scaling and replaning. Yes. And you come back. I see. I think that's great information because there's a lot of hygienists who, you know, we come out of hygiene school and we didn't learn about procedure codes. And I don't think I, I really learned too much about procedure codes when I was in hygiene school. Like, thankfully for me, when I was assisting, I was um, working in the front office a little bit and doing like breakdown of benefits and things like that. So I knew a little bit more. Um, but I think that there's a good amount of hygienists who didn't have that experience. So then once we get into clinical practice and we start to see all these codes, you know, we don't even know the, the descriptor of the code to begin with. So it's, it's really helpful information, especially the 4346, because it's a, a newer code. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's only been around since 2017. So yeah, it's only been there, what, six years. Yeah. So, so, so when we say like the, the generalized inflammation and bleeding, that's like over the 30% or does it, I know that the descriptor doesn't say like a percentage wise, but is that what clinicians should be looking for? 
Yes, the that good old low and cellness index that you learned in hygiene school. Yeah, over 30% uh, would qualify for this. And again, it's moderate to severe. It's not that, you know, slight plus localized inflammation. That would still be an adult prophy at this point in time. Um, but definitely it would be the 4346. Yeah, I feel it's it's really good to start to have these conversations too with um, dentists as well, because I have ran into like some dentists not even uh, knowing of the code yet, since it is fairly new. So just being able to have that that conversation about implementing it into the practice. Um, have you ever come across, like, let's say a new patient comes in and you provide that patient with a prophylaxis and then they come back three months later and then doing the 43, 46 then, you know, that way, or is it usually it's, it, de it really depends on what you're seeing clinically, right? It doesn't even matter. It does. It does. Yeah. You can't put this in a, a square box. Yeah. <laughs> the subjective things you think about. One of the things I'd like to mention, particularly for practices who never implement it, the American Dental Association has a great document for a lot of when the new codes come out. And if you go to ADA.org and put in coding education, it'll give you uh, take you to a place where you can get guidelines. And there's actually an 11-page document on the D4346 code guidelines. And there's Q&A, question and answer to 24 different questions. Um, some of the things, questions that people ask, let me, let me just open it here. That gives why it was added. There's a question, um, what is the clear and accepted definition of generalized moderate, which is exactly what you talked about. It mentions the low and stillness. Oh. Uh, what procedures appropriate for patients with localized gingival inflammation, the D1110? Um, is D4346 a procedure followed by a perio maintenance because it's in that 4000 code? And the answer is no, because there was no bone loss. So this document, I would definitely encourage every hygienist go on to ADA.org got coding education, or just put guidelines for D4346, and it'll help them explain to their offices what it is. Absolutely. I'll, um, I can link that in the description of this episode too. So everybody can have a place to, to find that as well. One thing that was, or, you know, it can still be challenging is just getting out of that mindset of only providing the patients with what is covered rather than you know, actually going through and giving them a recommendation. I mean, within the past like nine months, I've, I've been recommending a lot more like three to four month profies and yeah. it makes such a huge difference. You know, I think when I first started in the field, I was just so used to saying, oh, six months, six months. Um, and I think that patients are much more open to it when you take that time to explain why. And I always, one thing I always say is my recommendation is based off of what I'm seeing today. It's based off of how much you're bleeding, how much inflammation is there. Um, it's not based off of your insurance coverage. Good for you. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, I, I feel it, like, you know, and hard, I say you know. that with a, with a, um, with a caring attitude because hygienists are under a lot of pressure right now to produce, produce, do it in less amount of time. And it's like, we're, we lost the patient somewhere in there. So I, I am encouraged to hear that you slow down. And I would encourage any of your listeners, slow down that little bit 
and patients will accept it because they know you care. And that's, that's a big part of it. And I think it makes a big difference for the patient, but also for me too, because when they come in and I, and I feel like I'm actually doing a prophylaxis, like not something that is, you know, I'm trying to clean everything I can in, in the one hour appointment, it's, it's actually manageable and it feel, and I'm able to give them the, the proper care. So, you know, it's taken me a while to, um, to gain the confidence to do that. But ever since, you know, I started implementing it and actually taking that time to speak with the patient, it has made a big difference in just my day to day. And, um, I would feel, I feel like the majority of my patients are on a three to four month, um, cleaning or prophylaxis rather than a six months. You know, when I get a, a patient that is six months, I'm like, wow, you're my, you're my only patient for today. That is on a mm-hmm. six month cleaning. You're, you are in health. Like this is great awesome. to see. And they're like, oh, really? really? Oh, that's great. And so I feel like I'm seeing more three to four than I am six, pretty much on the majority of the days that I'm working. That's awesome. One of the things that I'd like to share with um, your audience, because you're going to run up against um, some negativity from the business staff when they have to bill it, is something that what I found many business staff do not know. And that's on box 35 on the dental claim form. Okay, we hygienists, what's the claim form look like? Well, box 35 is meant for remarks. And what I found works in terms of if a dental plan doesn't cover the 4346, now what do we do? Uh, And there's a phraseology that, that not only me, but a lot of speakers have shared, is you can put in that box, and I'll repeat it, It's saying if benefits are exhausted or unavailable for a D4346, consider an alternate benefit of a D1110. Now that means I'm not changing it because you don't want a carrier to say, change it to an 1110 and we'll benefit it. No, you're just saying there are benefits available for 1110 in that plan because it's a different category than the 43C. So you want to have them, those D1110 benefits applied to this. So again, if benefits are exhausted or unavailable for a D4346, consider an alternate benefit of D1110. And that has worked with a number of plans that they'll go, okay, and they'll just apply that 100% of whatever the adult profile was into the 4346 category. So if the hygienists in your audience come back and say, here's something they can share with their business people, they'll go, oh, and work more cooperatively to get the benefits for the patient. That's great. I I love that advice. I feel like there are a lot of clinicians that want to implement this code. Um, and in order to be successful with that, it's important to have all the details of it before mm-hmm. you present it to your team, because Kathy's right. You know, when, when we go trying to implement these things, it's great that we want to advocate But also we have to think about what that means for the business team, because you could be adding more to their plate and that may not be something they want to do. So already having that information ready for them um, could definitely increase your chances of being able to implement uh, this procedure code more successfully. So I love that. And I I, I will actually um, put that in the descriptor box as well so that it's just there if anybody needs to put that. Is is that box 35? Is that... um, the same as like a narrative? 
Yes, it's I, I want to say 270 characters, I think it will allow you, you can do that for any procedure code, let's say, you could do it for the 4910 perio maintenance, if a plan doesn't cover it, you could put the instead of benefit if benefits are exhausted and avail for D4910, consider the alternate benefits of an 1110. So you could do that as well. But that phraseology fits in that box. It's kind of like when uh, most dental claims, when they're adjudicated or they come into the, the, the insurance building, it comes through kind of think of it like a conveyor belt. And if there's nothing in box 35, it continues on through the belt to be auto adjudicated by some AI technology or whatever it is, okay? A human being doesn't have to touch it. But if there's anything in box 35, whether it's for hygiene or restored or anything, when it gets to that point on the conveyor belt and it there's something in box 35, it automatic turns and goes to a person. So okay. anything you put in box 35 triggers a claim to go to a person to review. So that's something to remember too, that even some business staff don't understand that. They know it, they figure everything gets auto adjudicated. Nope, if it gets box 35, they see anything written in there, it goes to a person. Would you recommend when you are um, completing and billing out a D4346, just automatically putting that in the box 35? Or would you wait for the denial first and then put that in there? I don't think it would hurt to put it in first. Yeah. Just, I mean, just to try go, to... Oh, okay, this fits and they'll send it on. Okay. Yeah. Some some carriers will uh, ask for a full perio charting to be submitted so they can see the bleeding point. Or they might ask for x-rays to make sure there's no bone loss. Um, Interoral photos always fare well because that kind of moderate to severe will be just latent. So making sure all your documentation is up for if they ask for any kind of additional documentation helps. Do you have any verbiage or advice for a hygienist who is trying to explain this to a patient, what code they're doing or what procedure they're doing? Um, I always use time frame as an example. Okay. Also, uh, you know, if it's been a long time, that makes it a little bit easier. Um, if there's any kind of health concerns, we know there's certain um, uh, systemic kind of conditions, some diabetes, if it goes too long, some, you know, people with Sjogren's or, or uh, dry mouths might have some or this, these kinds of things. So I've got to factor in their health history. So you want to factor in how it, personalized to them. So they don't just don't think, oh, they're using a new code. It's a new map. It's going to cost me money. You know, no, this is how you fit into that parameter. So, you know, in terms of length of time and what's going on health-wise will help you explain to the patient the infection's gotten worse. I mean, we know bacteria that some of the pathogens, uh, you know, are what we call episodic meaning sometimes they're kind of dormant and everything's healthy. And the next time they go in, whoa, what happened? Probably stress level. Maybe they went through a divorce or lost a mother or father. You know, there's things that trigger those pathogens to go, let's have a party, you know, and everything gets very infected. So I have, you have to pull the personalization into it before you, you know, go and talk about this particular code. The I know why that what, yeah. I know that there are some uh, codes that have frequencies, like for instance, a prophylaxis might be like two times a year, you know, depending on the insurance. Um, do insurance have a frequency for the 4346 or is it typically just as as needed? 
the the 43 i have found it's typically as needed i think the expectation when it was um i was at the cdt the cmc meeting when it was passed in 2017 i go every year because i want to know the why behind what changes there are and the the idea was okay something happened it's really bad let's clean it up and now we'll get healthy or whatever the the long range goal is so it's not meant to be every 6 months it's meant to be once do your job explaining home care and all the the things of why it happened but trying to get them on the path to health that's great thank you so much for sharing all this information i get so many questions about the the d4346 and i've already learned so much from you just sharing all this information so thank you so much and i'm sure the the listeners appreciate it as well thank you it's it's fun to hopefully clear up some of the the confusion with it Absolutely. And we will uh, make another episode on another code, whatever that one is, we'll, we'll find out next time, but um, I look forward to learning more about the procedure code. So thank you. Thank you. 